Scratcher! It's cooking from scratch. Scratch, scratch dancing! They're trying to get a hold of a story. And... Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Scratch, the show where we let real stories out. It seems unlikely, but if, if you had it to do over again, would you do any part of it differently? Welcome, everybody, to the first pilot episode of The Scratch, where we let real stories out. I'm super excited to have with me today our pilot guest, no pressure, Michael Chesser. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. This was an interesting way to uh, start my day, to get a message asking me to come on today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're like, usually when you get a message from somebody who's like, listen, I have a podcast. You're like, hold on. Is this person clinically insane or do they have a legitimate podcast? So I appreciate you indulging me and actually coming on. Yeah, I mean, I know you, I know you do good work, so... Well, you'll turn this into you'll turn this into something. You make me sound halfway decent on here. <laughs> well, everybody, I hope you got a chance to check out uh, our legacy episodes that we put out. We put out twelve episodes of the previous Tuesdays at two, which was a show that we created as a live stream video podcast, um, and have since evolved into the Scratch. So we hope you all have enjoyed those. If you haven't, go check them out. Uh, they're twelve of our top and our personal favorite episodes of Tuesdays at Two. But we're excited to be in this new format to be more focused on stories and to be bringing people in um, to really just share that in audio only. So for your ears and your ears only. So um, I was excited to bring Michael in. We've done a lot of um, video work together, um, kind of a contract relationship, and it's been a really awesome experience. We've gotten to travel to Louisiana. We've done several corporate things, um, some reality TV pieces, and we're looking to do more. But um, Michael's got a lot of, and I don't want to speak for you, but um, a lot of really awesome experience in um, nature-related pieces and outdoor TV. So I brought him in because inherently in all of that, in the travel, in the production of those things, there's uh, some stories that naturally come out of that. I mean, even in, even in our, our drive down to that Louisiana shoot, like several stories, we talked pretty much the whole way. Yeah, we were able to we were able to burn up that what 10, 11 hour trip pretty pretty easily. There was no nine on the way there and like thirteen on the way back. Yeah, it, it was, felt like it felt it, the way back felt like forever. But we were able to burn up that drive going down pretty well. I th- I don't know that we stopped talking really. Mm-hmm. So no, there was there were stories all. The whole trip um yeah no i when you when you're traveling and you're on the road all the time there's always something going on because there's plenty of people out there to uh spark some sort of story doing something crazy or weird or do you feel like in, in, in what you do is specifically outdoor tv you run into a lot more um off the cuff blue collar type people like more I, I don't want to say rednecks. Do you run into a lot of rednecks? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. definitely. There's a uh, quite a few country boys out there that we deal with. I mean, that's the majority of our clientele. Let's be honest. You know, I mean, most of these guys, they uh, they don't want to be in the city, and uh, they'll never be in the city. They got mud on their boots, and they're proud of it. But hey, I like them all for the most part. Nice. So, and being and being around those people, what sort of work have you had the opportunity to do? I mean, when uh, I feel like anybody who's run a production company, especially in this area of the country, has gotten hit up by somebody 
who's asking them to produce a show that's um, about something outdoorsy and or particularly of the redneck variety. Not that there's anything wrong with that, um, but how did you get involved in producing outdoor TV and what's that experience been like for you? Like, what sort of shows um, are you working on? Oh, so, you know, it's kind of a long story on how I got into outdoor TV. Um, me, I really like to, uh, I really like to fish and obviously I've always been, I've always had a camera in my hand and I've always liked being outside. Uh, outdoor TV kind of fell into my lap, oddly enough, you know, going to film school at Western, I thought I was going to move to LA and be some city kid. And, um, that's what everybody thinks in film school. (laughs) You know, you kind of, you go to film school. After this, I'm going to go to LA. Right. Well, I, I think the big, the Cost big problem is aside, they, don't, they, don't really, aside. they don't tell you much of what there is outside of making movies and shooting weddings. You don't really think about all the other stuff there is to do. And uh, there, I mean, there's a lot out there that's not just movies. And so outdoor TV just kind of fell in my lap. Um, and uh, really the way I got into it. So, like I said, I've always liked to fish, but I've never, I was never a hunter. I never had anybody teach me how to hunt. And so I got a... a a job interview with a company and based out of Tampa, Florida, and they asked me uh, if I if I knew how to do all these different things, hang a tree stand, uh, how to deer hunt, period, you know, how to shoot a bow, just all these different hunting things that I don't necessarily have to know how to do, but it's a good thing to know when it comes to filming it and, you know, obviously how to get into a tree stand and everything. And you're like bright-eyed and right out of school and you're just like, yes, absolutely. I know, yeah, all, I know like, all of these things. I was, I was all kinds of green and <laughs> I was just like, yeah, absolutely. I've been doing this stuff for years. I had never been in a tree stand, never hung a tree stand, never seen a tree stand, never been on a deer hunt, none of that. I think I'd shot a bow like once in my life. And uh, that day... I dropped about every dime that I had at Cabela's <laughs> and bought all the gear to learn to hunt. And I went and started teaching myself to hunt. And that's kind of where it started. But now I'm an avid hunter. You know, in the morning, I'm waking up at three o'clock <laughs> to, go, right. so to go duck hunting. I, I hit up Michael on. So we, we're very organized and professional with, with our pet projects. Um, <laughs> I, I hit Michael up this morning. Um, and it's on a weekend and um, hit him up about recording our pilot episode and um, just to be able to get together, you know, no time pressure. We both, you know, work video production jobs, which are very time sensitive. So no time pressure where we can come in and just chat on the podcast. Um, but it was the same day. So, yeah. Um, and then tomorrow he's getting up at three in the morning. Yeah. Tomorrow morning. To go on a duck hunt at three in the morning. You can't. You can't see the ducks, right, until there's light out, and so that's no, going to be yeah, three more hours, right? You can't. Uh, tomorrow's shooting light's going to be about 6.45, so shooting light is 30 minutes before sunrise. Um, so you're looking at probably 6.30, 6.45 before you're really in shooting light. I think last weekend we shot our first duck about 6. Excuse me. I, I think, yeah, last weekend we shot our duck first duck about uh, 6.33, I want to say, is what time it was, if I'm not mistaken. So, so, hold on. So, for somebody like me, who is very green to hunting and outside of a lot of that, what are you, what are you, so if you're, if you're headed out at three and first light's not until 6.45, you said you shot one at 6.33, which is a little earlier than that, but what are you doing for over three and a half hours during, during that process? Okay, so I mean, we're leave, we're leaving it. Um, we're gonna leave probably. You know, I'll be up at three. We'll leave by about three thirty in the morning, 
and we've got about an hour drive. So we'll hopefully be there about four thirty, depending on if we got to like stop and get a get a sandwich or a Red Bull or something like that. And um, we'll uh, be out there about four thirty. But the reason we're getting out there so early this weekend is because the spot that we would normally go to. I don't think with all the rain that we've had, it's going to be possible to get to it because we'll need a we'll need an arc probably to get back there. <laughs> um, so uh, there's a there's a river we got across, and typically it's you know waste. And last week after it hadn't been raining, it was chest deep, and so after all the rain we've had the past two days, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to cross it. So we're trying to get out there because really there's only us and one other group that's been going out this year. And uh, we're trying to beat them to this other spot that they were in last weekend. And uh, so, so that's, you're trying to race somebody to that spot. Yeah, it's it, we're we're trying to hunt them. So we're, there's you know, the potential of you one. waking yourself up at three in the morning, sludging for and getting through like the muddy, you know, how things are from the rain over like a two two and a half hour period to get to that point, and then you may potentially get there and be like, "Dang it!" Yeah, they came out earlier than us. Yeah, yeah, it could very well happen. And if it does, then is we're there gonna ever another spot in in that, or in, even in like the hunting related shows that you've worked on? Is there ever like that sort of conflict when people go out to hunt? Like you're in my spot, sort of thing, or is there ever any talk at that point? Or you're just like, oh, we're just gonna move on. Um, I mean, most of the hunting shows that we do, uh, we're hunting private land, so a lot of the times we're with outfitters and stuff, and we're on private land, so. You don't have that problem. Um, I will say in Colorado, over in September, we were on an elk hunt, and it was uh, it was it was pretty covered up in people, and so we really had to. I mean, let me put it this way: we went up a four wheeler only road in my truck, and it took us it took us like two hours to drive up this road, and it was rough. And we got up to the top, thinking. All right, we're going to get up here above the tree line, which if anybody's been to Colorado and knows kind of getting above the tree line, you're like 13,000 feet. And uh, we're not expecting many people to be up there. And we get up there and there's multiple people up there. And so everywhere you go, there's people. And uh, so you really have to kind of get off and find your own area to hunt. And you never know, you know, elk bugle. And so you never know if you hear this elk bugle if it's a real elk or if it's just some other hunter who's a mile away bugling back at your cow call or your bugle or whatever that may be. So it makes everything a little complicated. Um, and surprisingly enough, we actually found the one place we actually found elk and we actually didn't have other people around was fairly close to town. You know, unlike these other places, it was just a place that people didn't know existed because it was so small, but it was like, it was kind of a honey hole for elk. So that was, uh, but no, I mean, typically shooting these shows, you're on private property and we don't have to deal with that. But uh, when it comes to being, you know, the broke 20 something year old and uh, you don't have the luxury of having a TV show that you're actually on and people allow you to come hunt, you know, you got to really, you got to fight for your. So this, this, this September trip, was this the one where you had to essentially fend off a cougar in the dark? Mm. I wouldn't. I, I, I wouldn't call it fending the cougar off. Okay, I'm over. I'm overselling the story, but <laughs> listen. So, what I've learned about the podcast format and audio, you have to be. You have to oversell it. You have to overdo the imagery. Yeah. So I'm, I'm overselling. So you fended off a cougar with your bare hands from the inside of a truck. Yeah. Um, yeah. So from the inside of your truck, fully armed. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was a small cougar. No, it doesn't matter. I mean. <laughs> 
small cougar will do some do some damage and I, it's technically so in colorado it would, it would technically be a mountain lion if i'm not mistaken i believe cougars are southern so you would or is it a panther i don't really know is it all the same animal it is all the same animal uh they just kind of vary by uh i think i don't you know i'm, I'm no expert on this um so if there's somebody out there listening to this that actually knows um please chime in but um, let us know. But if I'm not mistaken, you know, you've got you've got the mountain lion and then the cougar and then the panther, and they're all fairly, I mean, they're all like the same animal. They're just all a big cat, but I think they just kind of vary in name by region. And I'm pretty sure the cougar is more so what you would see around our area here in Kentucky, out, uh, out west, up in the mountains. It's a mountain lion, and then down in Florida, um, they're a panther. So interesting enough but they're all they are all the same animal they just live in different regions but but anyway yeah in colorado we um there's two campsites this is the area that we found there was a bunch of elk there's two different campsites there's one at the top of the hill and one at the bottom of the hill and um we just drove up the top of the hill one night after we set up we were set up camp at the bottom we drove up to the top after we went out one night to get dinner and um we get up there and we see these eyes in the dark and it's like, what is that? And we turn the headlights on and my buddy Gabe is with me and he's like, turn those headlights off right now. And because it's technically spotlighting, even if you're not hunting it, you're not allowed to shine lights at animals um, like that in the dark. It can be, you can get charged for spotlighting. And, um, but yeah, there was a, there was a mountain lion probably, I don't know, 70 yards in front of the truck just like hanging out right there and then there was other people up there camping and um you're sitting there and so we just kind of sat there for a minute to see what this thing would do but yeah he was just he was just hanging out and there's people you know there's people there thankfully they were in a camper and not in a tent but i mean as a crow flies we're a tenth of a mile down the hill from this thing and we're sleeping in tents so we hung out in the truck for a little while and uh had ourselves a few beers before we went to bed because there's nothing you know more terrifying than knowing that there's a mountain lion who hunts for sport you know right up the way from you <laughs> but <laughs> you know that's that's part of it that's not for my blood i like the adventurousness of it i think I mean, I've told you before, right? I've not, I've not been a hunter type person. I've done plenty of fishing, but I've not gone out and I've not had those sorts of experiences. Yeah, I, I've been to the hospital before because of work. Um, yeah, I got bit by a spider and I thought my whole leg was gonna fall off, but that I, I got some medicine and cleared it up. <laughs> Turkey hunting in the spring and thought a mosquito bite was or thought a bite was a mosquito bite and it actually turned out to be a spider bite and three days later i couldn't walk so that was that was an interesting that was an interesting turn of events you know you think it's a mosquito bite so yeah guys if you're ever if you're ever turkey hunting in south texas and you get a bite on you and it starts to hurt and you think well maybe it's just like an infected mosquito bite it might actually be a spider bite you might want to have it checked out because on bad day three you, you can't ha- walk, or you might lose your leg. Yeah. So no, did was... you have to? Did you have to wait until? Are you saying day three because you got to day three? Yeah, I made it to day three. I couldn't sleep that night, and I got up the next morning and I fell when I put pressure on it. I was trying to go take a shower and I fell when I stood up out of bed, and uh, when I got my clothes off, I uh, 
my abdomen all the way down to about my knee on my left leg was swollen and purple and red. And then I had to go to the doctor and uh, get some medication and take take a day rest. But it cleared up pretty fast. They give you some drugs and that stuff will clear you up real quick. I keep I keep that. I didn't take all of it. You're probably supposed to. But it cleared up. Once it was cleared up, I just quit taking the medicine. So I just keep it handy on me when I'm in the field. In case I ever get bit by something, I can just take it and hopefully not die. Any of those experiences, is is that the wildest thing that's happened to you? Off the top of my head, yeah. I haven't been charged by any animals or anything. Um, there's a lot of guys who have been like charged by bears. Um, I have, I mean, I've bumped into a lot of bears fishing, just like on my own. Um the, probably the scariest moment with a bear and this, so, you know, that's like the spider bite thing was probably like the most like eerie thing. Cause it was one of those where like that hurt, like that, I was in full blown pain. Like that was, that was terrible. Well, I'd say so if you couldn't put pressure on your leg and you fell over. Yeah. The entire part of your body was just swollen up. I'd yeah. Right. And, uh, but no, I think I had a I had like one one of the coolest moments I've ever had. I was uh, I was in the Smoky Mountains and um, I was on Deep Creek. So if you're ever in the Smoky Mountains, um, you can go to Deep Creek and they actually tube down that river, but you can fly fish that river. And so we were fishing it, and we were just up above. So it's about two miles up. You walk up and you can put your tube in, and it's a two mile float down. It's a, you know it's a good little day day trip, and. Um, so we get about two miles up and we're just over this bridge. You know, the bridge says no tubers past this point. And um, we're sitting up there and we're just, past, like I said, just past this bridge. And you walk down off the trail, you get in the water and we're standing there fishing. And then all of a sudden I hear something rumbling in the trees and coming down the hill, coming down the mountain, coming out to the water. And there's a lot of elk around there. So I'm thinking, oh, holy crap, an elk's about to pop out of this, you know, thick brush. And uh, all of a sudden this giant, biggest black bear that I've ever I've ever seen alive because I can't say it's not the I've seen a much bigger black bear dead, but I didn't we didn't kill it, somebody else did. Um, but uh biggest black bear I've ever seen alive, probably pushing four hundred pounds, comes walking out right in front of me. I mean, he's twenty yards in front of me, if 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 that, probably closer. And I just I'm staring dead at him and he looks at me and we just it felt like a century staring at each other and then he he just kind of goes down and starts drinking water and kind of like pawing at the water Mm -hmm. so i just kept fishing but i didn't have my camera on me it was actually in my buddy's bag who was i don't know 50 yards upstream from me and he he notices the bear and so he's like trying to get the camera out and get to me and we're we're you know trying to get a picture of this bear because he's right there and this is the most incredible moment because it was just kind of like this it was like we were just there together, me and this bear, and we just didn't care. And it was like this just weird, thrilling thing, you know, like just. That sounds like a, a song from the seventies. <laughs> I don't me know. and the bear, and we just don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I'm efficient in the stream. But it really, I mean, it was like the most exhilarating thing because he just didn't mind me being there, and he wasn't afraid. And uh, black bears are real timid, so when they see people, they don't want to be around you. Um, but yeah, he was super chill and uh just minded his own business and then some guy up on the trail walked by us and he starts yelling bear 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 and and then and you're like 
no crap, dude. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm like, I'm, I'm standing here. here. We're fishing together. Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about moment. the different bait we're using here. Right. Like yeah, we, we're, we're, we're sharing bonding. this moment together, and this guy scares the bear off. Well, I feel like people don't understand, and that might have been more of a tourist, but um, yeah. one thing I've just learned from you and then the shows I've watched around hunting or conservation um, and just in all of that is a lot of people have a perception that hunters are out there for particularly sport, but I feel like there's a a connection you build like with the animal kind, like what you're talking about with the bear, like you're, you're having that experience there. And I imagine you've had other experiences like that, just, you know, because you've, you've talked about elk, bear, deer, um, you're talking about ducks. I mean, there's, there's so many different, um, types of hunts you've been on. So have you had other opportunities you think to, um, to connect with different species? And, um, what do you think about that whole, stigma i guess about hunting well okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of yeah so it's like two yeah it's like two or three questions there so (laughs) on the on the topic of the bear real quick so yes um people do hunters do get a bad rap thinking we're out there for sport and i have to say that's probably the farthest thing um from what it is because I I personally, I mean, okay, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who don't have the compassion for the animals like most of us do, and they're just out there to kill stuff. And, and, that, and you know, that's the thing. There are poachers out there, and there's poachers here. You know, people kill animals, and they'll go cut the head off, and they'll walk off. You know, we, me as a hunter, anybody that I associate myself with is compassionate for these animals. And, I you know, seeing that bear, so... Bears are probably one of my favorite animals. I think some of the coolest animals. Um, and I've never actually killed a bear. And that is the one hunt. That's like my dream hunt is to go on a black bear hunt and a grizzly bear hunt. And and that's coming from somebody who's saying that this is like his favorite animal. But there's just something about them. And I guess unless you're a hunter, you can't understand that. You might, you're probably, if, you know, if you're not a hunter and you don't really agree with hunting, you might listen to this and think, you're absolutely crazy. You know, that's like going and saying, you know, my dog's my favorite animal and now I want to go kill a dog, but it's not because a dog's a pet, you know, but to take an animal that you're going to, that you plan to eat and you plan to use, like if I could go, I mean, if, if you haven't seen the Revenant, you should go see it. Um, if so the, I could, the Revenant is a good example of, of hunting. Um, I wouldn't call it a good example of hunting. Yes, maybe I don't know, but it's good. It's just symbiosis. A, it's just a, symbiosis with animals. It's just a. It's just an amazing movie. Uh, but uh, no, you know. So Leo is wearing. He's wearing this big grizzly bear coat the entire time, and as goofy as I would look walking out in, in town with a grizzly bear coat on, I would love to have a grizzly bear coat. But well, yeah. if you show up with a grizzly bear coat to uh, a mechanical or manufacturing shoot just at random. Um, we may have to talk about that depending on the size of the grizzly bear coat. <laughs> but I, I, see, mean, I see what you're saying. I would, I, if I kill an animal, every bit of it gets used, you know. And so, I mean, we're using all of it. You know, the only thing that's left is, you know, bones and fat. And, you know, even some of the fat gets eaten and cooked with. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, most hunters are out there to – and. I think I've always said a prayer afterward and, you know, thank God for the ability to be able to go out there and hunt. And, you know, you thank the animal as well because, it, you know, it just 
you just took its life, but it's allowing you to put food on the table. And I think it's a much more humane way than going to the grocery store and buying beef or buying chicken or buying pork that has been most likely mistreated in its life, depending on where you're getting it from. And um, no, you know, that animal, it died quick and it died without even knowing it was going to. It lived a good life. And uh, it's going to be used for, you know, people are going to eat it. You know, I, I like to share wild game with people when I get it. And uh, I love that. But um, no, so I think your other question was like, if I've ever been able to connect with animals. And um, I love deer and elk hunting. And, um, you know, I think the the majority, you know, 99% of the people out there who are hunters are deer hunters. I mean, it's it's kind of the most widespread hunting there is. Um and it's something that, you know, it's just easier to do. Everybody does it. It's very cost effective. And um, so, but uh, no, like doing these TV shows, you know, one of the TV shows were on deer and elk farms. And um, if you're curious of what a deer and elk farm is, can yeah, I give I'm like not... a TV plug here? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, so I, I have no, the only sponsor of this podcast currently is me. So the there's there's there are no contracts with myself for this okay. thing. So okay. plug plug away. Go ahead. Um, all right. Yeah. So no, you know, if you're interested um, in kind of seeing what deer and elk farming is, you can check out Deer and Wildlife Stories. And so it's Deer and Wildlife Stories with Keith Warren. That's the host of the show. That's who I work for. And you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on our website at deerandwildlifestories.com. Um, but that's going to kind of teach you that you know if you. If you want to learn more about what I'm talking about, rather than me explaining it to you, you can kind of go check out an episode. But uh, on these deer and elk farms, it makes it hard to go. I, like, don't get me wrong, it makes it hard to go deer hunting because I spend so much time with deer, and and so like that'd be like me who is a dog lover. Like, I can walk in a room full of dogs, and I can be best friends with all of them because I just love dogs, and um, so. No, I mean that'd be like telling me, you know, we're gonna go, we're gonna go on a, on a dog hunt, not like a coyote hunt, but like a dog hunt, and I'd be like, nope, sorry, but I'm not, you know, I'm not doing that. That sounds terrible. Yeah, so working, you know, working on deer and wildlife stories, um, I'm on a lot of deer and elk farms, and um, you know, when you work with these animals, it makes, it makes wanting to go like on a deer hunt kind of uh, difficult because I'm. I'm around these animals all the time and you know, like one of my favorite times of the year is June and in June, all the fawns are born. And so you're out, you're playing with all these baby deer and it's like having, honestly, it's like having a bunch of little puppies with like really sharp hooves. You got to wear jeans around fawns. They'll cut your legs up. Um, but no, it's like having a bunch of little puppies running around, jumping and having a blast. And you know, they all have their own personalities and you know, you might have one dog who's like real cuddly and you might have one dog who's like real standoffish and then one who just like won't ever sit down. And you might have three deer just like that. One that wants to like, wants you to hold it all the time. And then you have one that, you know, doesn't want to be around anybody. And then one that just like bounces off the walls. And, and so when you're around them like that, and then you can watch them grow up. And, you know, I've had, you know, since I've been doing this show in three years, you know, the guy, Keith, I work for him, he's got his own deer farm. And I've seen some of these fawns that like I bottle fed now grow up and they're these big, you know, beautiful deer. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to see that. And so, you know, you watch these deer grow up and it's one of those things where going on a deer hunt could be, you know, it can be kind of tough sometimes, but you know, then you have to think about it, you know, 
these are wild deer, you know, you didn't raise these deer and, you know, you, but, and you're feeding your family and that kind of stuff. And it's still part of the game and conservation has to happen because, you know, population management is, is critical. Otherwise, you know, there's all kinds of different things that can happen. Well, you've even told me just some passing and talking about your hunting about just issues that have happened as far as overpopulation and kind of how hunting contributes to solving some of those issues. Right. I mean, you think about, I mean, look how many deer you see dead on the side of the road. You know, that, that right there is a, I mean, part of industrialization, but partially it's overpopulation because deer, you know, they have to move. And, um, I mean, that's one of those things where we have to keep those populations under control. And, uh, if you think about it, in in gun season in Kentucky, which is only I want to say twenty days long, we kill close to two hundred thousand deer a year in those twenty days. That is a lot of deer, and that doesn't put a dent in our deer population. It's insane. So I mean, you think about how many deer there are here, and then but also all those deer are being taken and. They're feeding so many people, and there's a lot of people who will go out and they'll kill, you know, multiple deer, but then they'll donate them to, you know, food banks and food drives and that kind of stuff, and they go to homeless shelters and all that. And so, really, I mean, hunters, when they do this kind of stuff, they are really able to give back to communities, and they're able to help keep populations in control. And then they're also, their their money they're spending to do this is going to companies who are supplying jobs like Cabela's, Bass Pro Shops, you know, small town hunting stores and licenses are going to conservation efforts to, you know, learn more and do more research and find out how to better, you know, maintain this wildlife. And so, yeah, doing shows like this, I mean, yeah, you get connected to these animals, but you still have to kick back and realize like, why are we hunting? You know, there's a, there's a big, there's a big reason for it. And, uh, I think anybody who wants to do it should definitely try it. And, uh, more than more than happy to have you reach out to me and I can get you I can help you find somewhere or find somebody to help you and teach you how to do it. Yeah, no but, no doubt deer and elk are just beautiful animals and absolutely. Um, you even see it just in um in cinema as well. I think that deer are always captured as these very beautiful, elegant animals and you get to see that first person. But there's some animals that are a little more stubborn. I I really want to know, or at least I want them to know. We talked about this on the way uh, to Louisiana. I want the audience to know more about the up and coming sport that is donkey basketball. <laughs> Tell us more about donkey basketball. Um, actually, they're playing donkey basketball right now. I'm just not in Texas this year. Um, in fact, I... <laughs> I, this last night I was looking at tickets to fly out there today just to fly. be able to go to donkey basketball. Yeah, well, okay, so there's Dallas. I Safari. said it's up and coming. I mean, you're not the only person flying out there to go see it, right? Well, oh yeah, there's a bunch of people there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, no, it's uh, and the, you know what's funny is actually the guys that put this on are from Tennessee, so they're just down the road. They're only about an hour away from us, but they drive this trailer full of donkeys out to out to center Texas every year. So that's about a 13 hour drive. Um, no, I about, uh, for, for the beginner, what, what exactly is donkey basketball and how did you first discover it? Cause your description of it to me when I first heard about it, just sounded outlandish. And then you showed me your filming of it. And then I, of course had to believe you. It's a little crazy. Yeah. So, um, Donkey basketball, in a few words, 
is a bunch of rednecks on top of a bunch of stubborn asses trying to score a basketball. <laughs> Can I say that? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you're talking about the animal. <laughs> You're not using uh, it in a cursing sort no, of sense. Yeah, there, was, there was no curse No, that's, that's the technical <laughs> Bloom's taxonomy animal name. Um, yeah, so donkey basketball is... Uh, it's, it's a basketball game, and in order to shoot, you have to be on your donkey. And if you've ever been around donkeys... They are called stubborn for a reason, and it's because donkeys won't move. Donkeys are actually pretty incredible animals because they're used around livestock. So the reason you'll see a donkey, you'll see a single donkey on a farm, say it's around cows, horses, whatever it is. Um, you know, okay, so there was a donkey going back to Colorado real fast. There was a donkey in Colorado, and these elk, this was a preserve, it wasn't a preserve, I should say. It was a wildlife management area, and... Um, it was these elk, so they were traveling back and forth from private land, but they would bed in this wildlife management area right close to where we were camping. And they've got food plots and everything grown. And uh, so these elk, it's kind of like a, it's like a sanctuary almost for these elk. But um, there's a donkey, and he just kind of wanders around out there. And what that donkey will do, that donkey will fight off predators such as mountain lions. And a donkey would win that fight, as crazy as that sounds. Mm. That's what donkeys are used for is to fight off predators. So you'll see them around like cows because— So you've gotten to see a donkey actually kick into gear. Most people just see like I've, stubborn, I want to do what I want to do sort of donkeys. I've never actually seen that. And the thing is, I did not realize that until I decided to screw with that donkey in Colorado. And one of my buddies was like, dude, don't mess with that donkey. And I was like, why? He was like, that donkey will whoop you. And I was like, it's just a donkey, man. He'll beat you. And, and they were like, I was like, we play donkey basketball with donkeys. Like, it's not going to hurt me. And he was like, no, donkey basketball, those are like trained donkeys. This donkey is going to whoop your butt. And uh, so he told me. And, and so, yeah, I did not realize what donkeys were actually used for. I always wondered. But, yeah, so, I mean, when you got cows and stuff out on your farm and they're calving, you know, a big predator for calves is coyotes. And so donkeys will keep coyotes and stuff away. And I had no clue that was a thing because you think it's just a stupid mini horse. And, but really, I mean, it's got a purpose. But, uh, no, they, uh, donkeys are more, they're donkeys. They're more than a stupid mini horse. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I just always pictured, you know, donkey off a Shrek, just kind of an idiot, but, (laughs) (laughs) but no, they actually, they really, they really do have a purpose. No. Um, and their second purpose is for, they are, uh, very good at being stubborn basketball players. So when you're playing donkey basketball, they, uh, you've got it, you know, you've got your rope around their neck and you're pulling on them and you're trying to drag them where you want them to go. And, um, if you've ever seen a kid try to control a dog, that's kind of what this is like. Because that donkey will take you wherever he wants to go. And if he doesn't want to go anywhere, he's not going anywhere. I don't care how hard you pull, how big you are, what you are. I mean, you could probably hook a truck up to that thing and you wouldn't be able to pull it. They're so strong. But, uh, yeah, I know. you got to move these donkeys around the court. And if you can't move the donkey, you can't play basketball. So it's just funny watching these really big dudes who, I mean... And when they're when we're at this event, you know, it's a it's a it's a deer auction and everything, and so everybody's like really dressed up. So then you got these guys in like dress shirts and like jeans and boots, and 
they like all look nice when they start the game and then by the end of it they look like hell because they're <laughs> sweating and they're covered in dirt and everything but you know you got all these big these big old southern boys trying to pull donkeys around and they all know damn well that these donkeys are not going to move and so and you have the referee who carries a broom around and his job is to obviously referee the game, but if there's a donkey that legit won't move, he'll walk up and he'll smack it on the butt with a broom, and it'll take off running, and then it drags the guy. <laughs> and so it's just a, I mean, it's a comical game. You should really look up donkey basketball. Um, I think the only people that probably know about this, because I had no clue what this was until the first time I went to this event. Well, you told me about this, and it wasn't like something I've thought of before. Just like, oh, yeah, the NBA, LeBron James. No, donkey basketball, n- had never heard of. I, that would be that would be like a clutch Nike ad or something. Like, <laughs> get all their, like, get all their sponsors or their sponsored players to, like, go play donkey basketball. It'd be a better ad for like a boot company, probably. Probably like what that if, particular. Game. What if they made like Nike Ariat cowboy boots? Like Ariat would probably not do that, but <laughs> no. But can you imagine? Can Can you imagine just seeing like LeBron James and like all these? I I don't watch NBA. I don't really know many NBA players. But can you imagine watching all these NBA players like trying to drag donkeys around and play basketball? Like how comical that would be. Like imagine Shaq trying It'd to sit a on a donkey. It'd be a good way to mix things up. I think my my critique I've made of the NBA the entire the entire time I've known about it and or watched it, also known as my whole life. Um, my issue has been that I, I think in comparing football and basketball, I think it's possible to build a, a high level of skill um, even further in basketball. And so I think everybody is almost when you watch the NBA, it's like oh everybody's so good. That makes it less entertaining. I think if they integrate donkeys in yeah, the NBA, absolutely. it would so. really make everybody not as good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the NDBA. Yeah, absolutely. That the the, the NDBA. Yeah, the National Donkey Basketball League or Association. <laughs> That's perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, we need to call up uh, uh, what's his name on Shark Tank that owns the Mavs. Oh, uh, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban. If you're listening to this. Donkey Basketball Association. That's what needs to happen. That is the next Shark Tank pitch. I will see you in the 2021 season of Shark Tank. And Hi, I sharks. I have a donkey and a basketball. Hi, Sharks. I'm Sam. <laughs> and oh, oh, and Michael. Yeah, that's when you go, and I'm Michael. <laughs> and we go, and we're the owners of the National Donkey Basketball League. And we you gotta try that. We have to say that in unison. Oh, the, the National, National donkey, donkey Basketball, basketball Association. Association. Yeah, so we say that, and then immediately, 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 because it's such an outlandish topic, Kevin O'Leary would be like, "Okay, tell me your numbers now." (laughs) Well, uh, we haven't made any money yet, but we we haven't made any money yet. Sixteen donkeys. You're like, oh, really? You haven't made any money yet? Yeah, surprising. But but we need Mark so we can play in the Mavs uh, arena. Just find a way to just severely alter the NBA. I mean, that's leaving a legacy. Absolutely. I mean, think about the opportunities there. I mean, you could bring in so many different sponsors after that. I mean, you could have like feed companies wanting to sponsor the NBA now. Hmm. Feeding donkeys. That's just, hey, NBA, that's just more money in your pocket. You've got enough. Like I think, I think as time goes on, it's clear that professional athletics organizations are going to have to find ways to evolve right. and to adapt. Um, 
we've worked with, and they've not changed the sport, obviously, but we've worked with the Bowling Green Hot Rods, and they found a really good way to make all of the games very appealing for families and having events and theme nights and things like that. That's the way that they've adapted. Um, I think the the adaptations need to be larger based on the scale um, of sport. So the NBA, I think they could adopt a change like that. Think, I mean, think about that. I mean, you look at you know you look at the Derby here in Kentucky, and and the pedigreed horses. How much money is spent on these horses? Imagine having really good donkeys for donkey basketball, and so you start breeding that bloodline, and like you've got some like deep pedigreed, you know, donkeys playing in the NBA, and. <laughs> I mean, you could get they into can some even serious have their numbers own, like, there. Donkey-shaped jerseys and everything. Yeah, absolutely. They have like, just imagine. Okay, you know how funny it is watching these little bitty jockey guys ride horses. <laughs> now imagine seven-foot dudes riding a three-foot-tall horse. So it's the opposite. Exactly. That would be freaking hilarious. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, most of them could probably potentially. Come close to dunking the ball while staying on their horse. I'm just imagining a pair Donkey. of Jordans with spurs on it. That's that's all I'm thinking about. Jordans with spurs. Hey, that yeah. right there, people would buy that. That would go <laughs> in a collection. Hey, think about what's that little Nas X? He'd wear those. Yeah, those are the only type old of shoes. This is the only type of shoes you can wear to walk the old town road. Absolutely. I don't know why. Uh, what was his name? Billy Ray Cyrus wasn't wearing those in that. Yeah. You know, he already he already crushed his career in that song. I don't know why he didn't make it even worse and wear some spurs <laughs> on some Nikes. While while I'm committing career suicide, <laughs> let me also just make it worse. Just why not? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like if I were if I were in an experience where like I knew for a fact that like I was not going to make it out alive, like during that experience, I may do some. I may be liable to do some crazy stuff. Just absolutely because like well. I don't know if I'm going to be able to to do this ever again or not. Now your time is limited, but I don't know. I don't know. I think we're getting a little too fringe here. I think this has been an awesome episode. Michael, what do you think? Well, I was actually, I mean, I know you're trying to wrap it up, it sounds like right now, but I was about to crack another beer and tell one last little story about donkeys. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So okay, go for it. Okay, so donkey basketball is relatively. It seems like it's more for. Um, hold on, I gotta, I gotta. Let's just listen to this. Here. We're gonna unzip this cooler. Let's Sam, would that. you like a? Would you like a? Bush yeah, light? let's let's time this out. Okay, here we go. Bush light for you. Because this is audio, you all like just you can put yourself in this scenario. We're duck hunting and it's four thirty in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. And we're and, in the middle of nowhere. And we don't and drink then, beer while we're duck hunting because we're shooting guns. Oh right. Okay, but, we we don't do that, but but anyway, just in the silence and the darkness, just a bush. Now that'd be a heck of a sponsor <laughs> for a for a podcast sponsored by our, a corporate Absolutely. agency video production company to have a Bush Light as a sponsor. I think. Um, One hundred percent. We'd have to discuss that. We'd get some questions. I think we could pull it off. <laughs> Um, you could possibly that would be a good sponsor I mean just imagine I, they don't have to give you money just imagine having an unlimited beer yeah the only thing is we want the conversations to be relatively coherent um, and we also don't want them to last for three or four hours I thought we were trying to be like Joe Rogan here that three hour podcast I listen to three hour Joe Rogan podcast all the time I'm mm. not gonna lie 
Especially when I'm in the car for a long time. I might have to split it up between like the, the way there and the way back. I'm just such a, a product of a video consumption online and seeing the the difference in timing, I guess. And so like yeah. the longest podcast I'll listen to, um, I'll listen to maybe 90 minutes. I've listened to a two hour podcast before, but getting up into the three hour range, like that's a long commitment. Unless I'm like on the road, I can I can knock that out. But otherwise, that's that's pretty long. Yeah, I mean, you have to be doing something like being on the road, and so like you have to be on the road driving for a while to do it. Because I can't just I can't take three hours out out of my day to just go listen to a podcast if I'm not driving. But I think if the if the story is good and they keep you entertained, then I can totally rock it. I mean, just I can do working it. on an edit for a client, and then they're like. Well, where's my edit? And you're like, oh, I found this really great podcast. Yeah. I've just been sitting here and so I've, I've, been I've been sitting here saying nothing hours. and doing no work for, yeah, for th- six hours. <laughs> I had to listen to at least two episodes. Yeah. Joe, you know, yeah, Joe Rogan's most, most recent two podcasts were great. I've been here for two weeks listening to them. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, Donkey basketball, though, um, from what I have seen, has relatively been a men's sport. And not trying to say women can't play donkey basketball, but I have seen some women get down on some ring around the donkey. And is well, that is that what it's called? You, it's like what, what, whatever. Not, music, not ring around the donkey. It's musical donkey. Sorry. Gotcha. So you you're saying that there couldn't feasibly also be a WNDBA? Absolutely. Except it would, I mean, yeah, they could absolutely, they could ride donkeys and play basketball, but women are really competitive. So, so here's the thing about donkey basketball. It's kind of competitive, but it's more joking. It's more laughing because it's just a bunch of guys trying to pull these donkeys around. And I they am can't do curious it. what the highest score that you've ever seen in donkey basketball would be. I don't feel like it would be that high. Oh, it's probably like five or six. And it, and and so it's really just from one guy who like camps under the basket and like sits on his donkey because he's got a calm donkey who'll just stay there, and then pass it to him. And they throw the ball to him, and then he hopes nobody jumps up and smacks the crap out of it. But yeah, I mean, donkey basketball is relatively like, I don't know, it's, it's more comedic than it is like competitive. But when you start playing musical donkeys, this is when the women, women, women are more competitive than men. I don't know what your opinion is on that, but women, women can get scrappy, and when they get competitive, they get they get kind of mean. <laughs> and and when it comes to when it comes to musical donkeys, man, I've seen. You talk, you piss off a little southern southern girl wearing some boots, and she'll whoop you. And coming and playing some musical donkeys, you know, just like musical chairs, you got to sit down, you got to get on this donkey. And these girls will fight tooth and nail to get on that donkey. It is freaking hilarious, but they are dead serious trying to win. And uh, yeah, women, musical donkeys. That's a that's a. <laughs> Golly, it's a good, it's a fun thing to watch because it's it's wild. Y'all get crazy, but uh, yeah, no, there's all kinds of different sports you can do with donkeys. I'm trying to have this at my wedding. But, That's what uh, you told me. You said this is going to happen at your bachelor party. Yeah, either bachelor party. I, I really wanted at the wedding, so there's more of an audience. Um, it could be a bachelor party thing, but either way, I mean, it's really honestly, let's be honest. Some guy's going to bring a trailer up. And he's only going to charge me $2,000 to have donkeys and let us just do 
ride around on these donkeys. And I think play a wedding sports. is one of the few experiences where you can you're just in the ability to say, you know, two thousand dollars on something that sounds frivolous but could be fun. Yeah, just I mean, throw it out there. It's like I just spent ten grand on like a room for people to sit in and eat and dance. So might as well spend two more grand so that people can walk outside and ride donkeys around. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I mean, and, and look, I've been saying for the longest time I want to get married on a farm. And it's even better to get married on a farm because what's more acceptable? Um, it, it's it's very acceptable to have donkeys on a farm. So we'll just we'll just go out back and I honest to God, I'll wear my whole tux. I'll ride a donkey in a tux. That'll <laughs> that right there, that'll be something to have. That'll be a good wedding video. Sam might come out of retirement for that one. Yeah. I'm not fully retired out of wedding videos. I'll do a couple personally. But, yeah, we have changed that. So for those those of you who have followed our, our announcements and changes we've made for 2020 and VidMonster, we're no longer directly selling wedding videos. But the cool thing is we're all still individually pretty passionate about it. Um, so we will um, take them individually or divvy those up, um, and you'll be in capable hands. But, yeah, we've we made that change. Um, but I think it... I think it's exciting. I think in a way, um, just to, to pivot away for a second, I think wedding video is such a personal thing yeah. that when you're you're trying to grow um, the, the advertising and the corporate side and what we've been focused on since the beginning, that um, if you want to provide an adequate wedding service and we've done a great job, there just becomes an economies of scale sort of thing where you start to grow past a point in volume and in service where you know you're not going to be able to give that personal touch. So when you take them on personally and you're making that income personally and you're um, delivering on that skill, I think having that personal also makes the service a lot more personal because it's such a vital, important moment. So I I definitely thought that was the, the right choice for us, and I'm excited going forward for the weddings that we will individually get to shoot. Yeah, I mean, when you do weddings, I mean, you got to be really like, you have to be really deep into it because if you think about it, I mean, me, I'd probably be more picky, honestly, because I do video than my fiance would about the wedding video. Well, you can hire <laughs> but, me if you want. Absolutely. I give you good rate. But uh, just only because you came on the podcast. Absolutely. Just only for because that. I came on the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's like the the thing about wedding videos is you could really screw up somebody's day really fast. So if you're not like all in, you know, if you're distracted, then and somebody's paying you a lot of money. Wedding videos get expensive. I know guys who are charging, you know, five to ten thousand dollars for a wedding, and ain't. I'm not gonna spend that kind of money for a wedding video. But I mean, there's people out there who will. And when it comes to that, and then y- you can't go back and redo that. And so oh, no, there's a you, lot of stuff you have that you to can be all in all day. And, and yeah. I think for those reasons, I'm glad that we had done them for for so long as a company, and you also that, that I had done so many because I've I've done over 35 weddings personally. Like yeah. I think that's a pretty good amount. And I think I've done comp- about 10. The company's done even more, and so in doing all of those, like. You develop a rhythm, you develop a style to the day. It's very game plan oriented. Now, the photographer is driving the timeline, but as long as you can really tag team with them and and make that work, um, it, it definitely takes a level of training. But I'm glad that that's something that we pursued heavily so early is the fact that because the company was smaller, because we were all able to take a little bit more individual responsibility in that specific gig as opposed to throwing it into our normal system of operations. Um 
that because of that level of pressure, we were able to hone our skills a lot quicker because it demanded it. I think that's one of the benefits and why you see a lot of people, especially coming out of college, starting to doing wedding videos, not only because um, as far as like a, a legal business setup, it's something that's a little more direct as, as far as like people are always getting married. Right. So from a sales perspective, it's a safe thing to do, but it's also a, a good training grounds to, to gaining your skill. And so that's why you see so many, you know, wedding videographers who will do it. But uh, in general, what I've seen, I've not seen too many much older wedding videographers. I think it's a, um, it's just something that I've seen. Our younger generations kind of coming in and taking that, uh, taking that over. Well, and the, the highlight style wedding video is also right. something that's... the music that's, video type. Yeah, the music video type highlight style is yeah. something that our generation understands, and that's something that's not necessarily existed, and that's mainly an editing thing. Right. That's mainly an editing editing software thing and how people have done that. Wedding, wedding videos to me are um, kind of like what you were saying. They're, it's a very run-and-gun yet cinematic uh, type of shooting. So you have to be able to, uh, there isn't, you know, you're not really storyboarding this, so you kind of have to know what you need beforehand and then be able to go in there and collect those assets as they're available. Yeah, you'll have and, a shot list. It's it's, yeah, very docu- got, it's very documentary style, minus right. the interviews. And um, we actually, as a company, our, one of our packages, we added in interviews to make really? more of like a more of a doc style thing that we were doing for a while. But yeah, I mean, it's it's that cinematic demand, and I think it teaches you how to uh, utilize your time very well. And I think uh, it's gr- a great learning tool, and it has right. been for us as far as the way that we cover events. I think a lot of the way that we cover events and a lot of the way we get organic B-roll or natural moments as opposed to staged pieces um, is because of the wedding stuff. Because one of the pledges we made for all of our wedding videos is not to stage anything. And, you know, the the first look is kind of outside of that, but not to, you know, oh, then you're going to take her and spin her in a field sort of stuff. We we leave that up to the photographer for the photos, um, but we were very organic in that approach. So I think that that applied really well to event coverage. That's something like that TV does for me. You know, you're able you're able to. It, it's it. We call it field production. I mean, and you're you're, able, you're literally in a field though. Yeah, I know. I you know, and so my I guess kind of my role. You would you know you it's different than what you would think of for, you know, regular movies TV. I, my job is technically like a field producer, and what I'm doing is, we've got you know a an executive producer who is the host of the show and then I'm the field producer. And so I handle everything kind of leading up to it. And then, but in the field, I have to be able to produce this show off the cuff and, uh, kind of a hunt can always, you never know what's going to happen. So I have to constantly be like writing this story in my head and, um, producing the show. And so the whole time you're trying to like script this thing as it's happening and figure out how you're going to tell this story and what's happening, and you got to make sure you're gathering all those assets. So that's kind of what field production is there. Um, but that's very similar, I think, kind of to the weddings. You got to be very run and gun. I mean, it's how a documentary would be too. If you're, if you're just, if you have a general story idea, but it's not scripted, and you're going in and you're collecting assets and just trying to tell a story through what you're able to gather. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's doing, you know, doing a wedding 
doing a lot of weddings can really help you transition into some other stuff that would typically be more complicated for people. Um, because, and, but then once you get good at it, then you go and do stuff like my first movie that I've ever, my first big movie that I ever did back in April with the Hallmark, um, that it was weird because I'm so used to being able to go in and you shoot stuff very quickly. And then to get one shot, you're spending over an hour, you know, lighting it, setting up cameras. And then, I mean, I've seen that on the agency ad gigs that I've done. Right. Um, not the ones that we're producing, but the ones we're just crewing is that the the pace of production is a lot slower. And I think I think there's a happy marriage to that. I think that's a, a change that that we're seeing industry wide is that the quarter million, half million dollar big ads are becoming a lot fewer and far between. And so the the efficient type production is becoming yeah. more of a thing. And that, I think that's where we've been able to grow specifically in VidMonsters and in doing, you know, those type of ads and serving those needs and growing, you know, towards that moderate budget since that higher budget hasn't existed as much. But because of, you know, on a higher budget, you just have, you know, time is money. You've got a little bit more time because right. there's a lot more money involved to decide those shots. I was on an ad shoot that was 12 total shots and it was two days, two full crew days. For twelve shots, I see, mean, and that's wild to me. I know it is, and so we've you know found some efficient ways around that to still deliver a high level quality of production. But there is a happy marriage there. Um, I want to see us personally, just talking from where I'm at. I want to see the type of ads that I'm producing and that I'm directing, and that also the stuff that we're doing as a company um, evolve further and, and take our time in a certain way. But I do think there's a threshold of that to where the modern climate for videographers and for video producers is more geared towards that um, art slash efficient type of production. I just think that's continuing to grow. Yeah, it's um, having that having that middle of the road is kind of that's that's kind of that sweet spot because you get to kind of really indulge in the like cinema of things and really like set up these shots, but you're also moving quickly and then. When you're moving quickly, you can offer your client more in a way, I think, because you're able to keep, you know, your overhead so down. So if, if you've got a client over in um, their monitor area looking at things, you've got a really, you know, two days is tight for those 12 to 14 shots. If a client has an idea or a suggestion about inserting a shot, um, it's very difficult to then weave that into the schedule of production if those 12 to 14 shots are already going to take so long. Right. And so... I've found just in a lot of my core work before starting to do concept work and short films and other things, all of the core work was so documentary based that I saw value in that off the cuff and that organicness. And I think that's really woven into a lot of our work um, prior to building up our graphics and editing side, which is kind of, I think, balanced that out from a marketability standpoint. But I think there's value to that documentary piece and that realism, especially in today's market. I think those those sort of story pieces cut through. It's, uh, yeah, and I think, Documentary, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I think documentary is growing a lot right now. Um, well, it's in ads. Half of our ads are testimonials. Right. Testimonials so, like, oh, I tried this. It helped me. Um, I, you know, I'm a grandmother and I wanted to be with my grandkids. And so this joint relief medicine was able to help me do this. Like, whether we right. realize it or not, even though there's a lot of disclaimer in it, even a medicine commercial well produced is a faux documentary. Yeah. It's and- all story. It's even documentary, you know, kind of 
has a but I th- hear documentary. I think Ken Burns, like I think you know, right, yeah, pushing absolutely. and pulling on Civil War photos. Um, but everything is story based. Yeah, a documentary is just telling telling a story. Well, you know, well, that's a lot of the work that we've. I mean, in, it's in our slogan: the "Let your story out." It's all been story brand, story driven. That's become such a big thing. Heck, the tagline for this podcast is "Real Stories Let Out." Everybody is all about hearing those stories from each other and. Um, yeah, we're in an age where people like to hear like they like to hear people's stories rather than make stuff up. So, you know, we're in rather than a an age of like made up storytelling, we want to hear other people's stories. And I think that's I think that's cool. I think it allows people to, to connect with others a whole lot better than like making up, you know, these uh, having fictional stories is great, but also getting to actually know people and learn from other people's experiences and what they've done, I think is a very, is a very interesting thing. And that's like going back to the outdoors. One of my favorite things about hunting and fishing is you bump into these old guys and they've got stories for days and you can listen to them all day long and you learn so much from them. So that's like documentary. That's why I I love this type of, you know, short story documentary type things that you see online because you're able to just hear people's stories and you can learn so much. Even if they're not teaching you, you can still learn so much if you really listen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think no, we're I like all, that. because of the social media landscape and because of the way that we consume our ads, we consume our content. It's so personal. We're not on the same watch schedules. Everything's streaming-based. I yeah. think I, I truly think the story end of things is something that's starting to unify us more and I think connecting us more is being able to share stories even even in the way that we advertise and i think that's i think that's a symptom i think we're all starving for connection with each other right um i, I think we've seen that a lot and yeah. and i think the way that we've shared that and the way the documentaries picked up i mean uh, i don't remember which comedian it was but talking about like you know 10 15 years ago you didn't have that person saying oh did you see this this documentary or like talk about a documentary series or all these other things like the People you knew that were watching a documentary, you almost kind of classified as a little nerdy, like, you know, you're watching this history documentary or whatever, but now... Because that's what they were. But now yeah. it's like such a stream of consciousness thing that people are just assume like, um, think about making a murderer. Like, that was a topic of conversation for about half a year, if right. not longer, and it still exists in the culture, talking about that. Because it's real, I think we can all identify with it a little more, and so that's even, you know... I think that's part of the reason that it's leaked into advertising is even that faux documentary piece is because people realize that the story is something that we identify with. It's why uh, speaking very, you know, meta, like that's why we're able to sit in a glorified, this room was two closets that are cut into one, (laughs) be able to sit into this room and talk about things for an hour. We're sitting in a closet for an hour and we're able to talk. It's just because we're sharing mainly you, but from a a story perspective. Yeah. I mean, and you know, talking about going back to advertising um, and telling stories, like if you look at modern advertising, I can think of all. And so I don't really know who started this. I really like to say it's Yeti. Um, and I, I like to call them the Yeti videos, but ultimately they're just like a branded video. Uh, but they're little three to five minute, pretty video, like cinematic documentary style videos. But I've seen them done by Yeti. Uh, I mean, Firestone has had some Firestone tires. 
Um, I mean, there's just all these there's different like companies. Doc, doc pieces that are not direct advertising other no, than the yeah, logo. Like, the logo even... on the front and the back and the YouTube channel it's on. And that's it. Right. So it'll be like, you know, it'll be a Yeti documentary little story, but they might like, you might see a Yeti product one time in it. And at the beginning, it's just like, so, you know, whatever the title of the video is produced by Yeti. And if if it wasn't so efficient to produce documentaries, you wouldn't see that. Right. I think that the the symptoms of but technology these, becoming cheaper and the people being able to yes. then get hired by Yeti to, you know, get a contract to produce 10 to 20 of these things, like, is, isn't something that would have happened 10 years ago because each documentary would have cost $200,000. And these, I can't imagine they're super cheap either, though, because a lot of effort goes into these and they're very pretty video. I mean, right. it's not just, uh, you know, shoulder on the cam, you know, camera on your shoulder and, you know, running around shooting video. I mean, this, these have legit setups. I mean, yeah, a lot of these, a lot of these ad docs like this are, I mean, they're set up and shot as if they're a real movie, but they, you know, it's just a different way of shooting and yeah, they're going to be faster. You know, they're probably not going to have a director sitting a mile away yelling at you and, you know, wanting to reshoot the shot 17 times, but it's definitely, there's still some, you know, intricate setups in some of these. You know, it's kind of hard to get an organic documentary if you have a director off the way yelling at you. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is the um, part where you smile now. Like, just like <laughs> telling them what to do. It's, yeah, it's not going to feel organic. Yeah, no. Um, no, but it's grown. I mean, you can look and everybody's doing it. I mean, I pretty much... This is the way people are advertising these days. We've gotten out of that because, you know, TV's kind of dying off and we're getting into the streaming thing. And so, you know, you can even look at, uh, I mean, look at Hulu advertisements. Like, so I, I don't even have TV anymore. I've got Hulu. And um, so, you know, your Hulu live TV, you still have commercials on, but you're looking at 90 second commercials, sometimes longer. You know, I mean, sometimes you're looking at like 120 second commercials. And so... That's a two-minute video that you have, you know, and people are using this advertisement style. So, I mean, it's growing very much, um, and I think we're kind of pulling out of that regular 30-second kind of commercial thing, and I think, you know, what you're doing a lot, you're doing a lot of this, too. You know, you, yes, people still want a 30-second spot, but they also like to have that little two- to three-minute video they can throw on their Facebook page and website, and um, and they're all very, like, interview docu style driven yeah we're veering away from the 30 and the 60 and moving into 15s and 90s yeah i mean it's I, been kind of interesting to see but yeah i mean you're right a lot of the work we've done has started with a core anchor video that's two to three minutes long and, um, and even you with some that for other things right and then even with some of the longer term relationship clients being able to offer a regular stream of that content similar to what you're talking about with yeti to be able to do that has been yeah um, has been a game changer for us it's a, it's a different world we're in. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, I think about how how things have changed in the five years that I've been really heavily doing this professionally. I and feel fortunate. I feel fortunate to have picked this industry. <laughs> Honestly, just as far as the way the consumption of media has gone, I, I, I think it's been um, not an anomaly, but I think the up the, the uptick in consumption of media content yeah. and the way that all in line, I, it's, it's almost like divine providence, and I see it this way, and it's because it's what I live and breathe every day, um, that at this, around the same time, 
if you think about how long the span of time is, um, that media encoding, um, bitrate compression and all of these things were able to happen at the same time as YouTube was created to make it a lot easier to be able to stream and share things via link at the same time as cameras were moving out of um, more of a physical media into a digital media and then advancing very quickly, if you think about it, to then be able to empower people to individually employ themselves and then grow into what we're doing now. There are small production companies popping up everywhere everywhere and it's crazy and so it's like a good and a bad thing in a way right i I think competition is important i do yeah i think it breeds um it breeds some really healthy things and the fact that um nobody needs to do things the same way it's an artistic medium regardless of the fact that it's around you know business and sales and right you know you you see a competitor, um, you see somebody in your same region or same state put something out that you know you're capable of, and a client that you wish you had. Um, but you just haven't thought ab- about producing that type of content right. yet. And so you ab- just go push yourself. It's able to drive you a lot further to be able to do that and knowing what you're capable of doing. Yeah, I mean, I think about it, and I'm like, a lot of my inspiration for what I do in, in the outdoor TV world and doing these outdoor productions, documentaries. So, you know, and so a lot of that inspiration comes from other creators out there and it's not just one person, you know, there's multiple people out there and I'll take aspects of stuff that I've seen. I'm like, that's actually really cool. I want to try that. And so I start trying these different things and just having, you know, it makes it more difficult to find clients what, because there's so many people out there trying to do the exact same thing you are, but you're able to learn so much. And in the industry that I'm in, it may be different than the advertising world, but we're all competitors, but we also all are very uh, willing to collaborate with each other. And we all like working together because ultimately we're all spreading the same message. And um, so, I mean... I can't tell you how many people, you know, will hit me up on Instagram and be like, Hey man, I want, you know, I'd love to go on a hunt with you. I've got a great place to go deer hunt. You know, why don't you come out? Uh, You know, we'll go hunt. We'll take some photos and have a good time. And you meet some of these guys and while they may be, you know, your competitor, they're, you know, they're doing something maybe that you want to do. They're working for somebody that you would love to work for. They're a great person to know because the next person that they know that needs, you know, a camera guy for their TV show, they're going to say, oh, well, my buddy so-and-so, you know, look at these photos that we took together, you know, this video we shot together, he's great. And, you know, we're always all helping each other out. I've hooked up friends with jobs. I've had friends hook me up with jobs. And, uh, I mean, that's it's kind of what I love about it. You I know? don't think there's any other industry like it, to be honest, that's, that's so referral-based. Right. Um, there may be, but firsthand, since we live this every day, yeah. we get to see that. I think it's neat how even we're starting to see that because there's there such a saturation of production companies, you're starting to see production companies figure out what their strengths are and right. source other things to other pieces. You yeah. know, So we, we edit specifically. We do post-production here at VidMonster specifically for different agencies and other video production companies as well to allow them to focus on their strengths and their efficiencies, um, where we know that editing is a very strong efficiency for us as a company. So, you know, you're starting to see that. So I'm interested to see as far as partnerships and playing to each other's strengths where this industry will be in the next um, five to 10 years even. I'm 
I'm, yeah. I'm blown away. I've I've told people numerous times in every presentation that I give to talk about the founding of this company. Like I had always made videos. I freelance making videos. I worked at PBS. I had made videos for several business clients and then decided to go out on my own and do this. But I never considered the timing, never thought about any of this stuff as far as the digital conversion I talked about or the uptick in marketing or the optimization for video online had seen some of those things potentially coming, but didn't consider that when deciding to start a business. And it's almost just good fortune that this has happened. And right. um, I mean, you even that we've been what? able to cross paths to do this is yeah. because of the type of, because of what we're doing. I mean, right. because of the way this market is. And I think, so I was going to ask you a question, but one of the, one of the cool things I think is in my opinion, we are creating the most consumed media in the world. You know, I mean, what we do, you know, we're creating video content and anymore, that is what people want. They want to watch videos. And I think that's incredible. I don't know. People, you know, rather than read or listen and that kind of stuff as we're sitting here doing a podcast. Uh, <laughs> Talking about the video media. Yeah, but well, uh, podcasting is uptaking too. I think we can talk about digital media as a as a whole. As even. a whole, yeah. I mean, it, obviously that's the most consumed thing, but I really think in the digital media field, I really think video is probably the most consumed thing and people love it and they love all kinds of different types of video. Even this podcast will be released directly on our social media as a video with the little animated waveform thing. So if you're listening to this episode while this is <laughs> happening, exhibit A right in front of your face. Yeah. Um, but on YouTube and on Facebook with the like waveform going with the talking. Right. Just because even even audio for an audio-based program, and we've made that shift away from video to an audio-based program, still needs that video support. Like it's that important. Absolutely. I think um yeah, and it allows you to kind of put it elsewhere too. Mm -hmm. And just, ha yeah, just having that video for people to see, it catches their eye rather than just a link to, hey, here's my podcast. You know, here's this video, even just a waveform, like you're saying. Hey, here's my podcast. Eyes. Yeah. Hey, here's my, here's my podcast. Bro. I thank you for indulging me and in coming in when I, when I was like, hey, I've got a podcast. And you're like, oh, another guy with a podcast. Okay. You know, and I, I well, I think it's kind of cool. And so it's kind of a, it's, I guess it's the first podcast I've ever done. And um, I like it. And, you know, I'm kind of in the process. I think you've done a pretty good job for I'm the first the, time. I've done a pretty good job? Yeah, for your first time on a podcast. Well, that's good. I mean, Minimal editing, little, <laughs> save, for our, save for our breaks. Yeah, I can, uh, I can talk to people really well. So, um, yeah, it's good. I could sit here for another two hours and, and Joe Rogan it if you really wanted to, but we don't need to do that. I got to be up at three o'clock in the morning. Right. Um, right. But yeah, no, I mean, it's been cool because I've really been kind of considering what it would be like. And, um, I kind of had an idea and it is kind of how my idea was, mm -hmm. um, since we're trying to kind of start this whole podcast idea now that it's 2020, I thought I would have all my gear to do it by now, but I haven't done it. I haven't pulled the trigger and ordered the Amazon cart yet. Um, Dude, I renovated a massive closet. Yeah, this is a pretty big closet. Just for this. I mean, it's really well. It's two closets. You yeah. see where the line was? Oh yeah, it was just I mean, a thin one. And then... It's. I mean, it's the probably... we're probably going to call the studio the closet. Uh, we were looking at it earlier. You could fit as a podcast bar. You could fit three, probably about three people. 
Yeah. Like standing room. Sitting room, I think it's pretty comfortable too. I mean, if if I'm looking at this and I'm just going to judge this in like square footage by eye, I would say it's probably 40 square foot. I Listen, mean, that's like the uh, tiny house move, about 10 foot long. The tiny house movement is huge. What? The, ti- the tiny house movement is huge. Yeah. I'm a minimalist. So, I mean, no, it's a it's a good option um, as we grow. Now, as we grow, we as we move away from this facility and build an, our audio space, and then eventually add video back into the program, which, spoiler alert, is part of the plan um, for all the listeners out there that we plan to eventually add video back in um, with a more involved set uh, to deliver the quality that we know that we're capable of. Um, you know, I think this is this is a great solution. Considering the fact that there's a window technically in this room, it dampens everything pretty. It does. I don't know if my headphones are amplifying it or not, but yeah, I mean, I have heard a few. I just heard a motorcycle go by and we heard the air conditioner, but I don't know if it's going to show up in the audio, but... No, I'm glad. I'm happy to be here. You know, like I said, this kind of gives me an idea of, you know, what we're wanting to do with this outdoor-based podcast that we're talking about creating. So, and... One more plug. Um, yeah, I need you, you like to, I need you to plug, plug, plug your yourself and your website where people can see your reel for yeah. outdoor stuff or anything else you might be doing. Plug for um, us. We love, you know, sourcing larger work. Um, I've already told Michael a lot about this, but as we've grown and as we're doing more agency work, we're going to work a lot more together um, on VidMonster work. But Michael, I'd love you to plug. Um, you can plug your wildlife stories again, your personal stuff, anything else you want to. So this is this is your time to shine because I'm getting a little <laughs> I'm getting a little sleepy and it's a little it's a little bit bedtime. Yeah, it's getting close. Um, yeah, no. So um, we're talking about starting a podcast. We don't know what it's going to be called yet. It's going to be based on outdoor TV and, and the where outdoors. can they find that podcast? Um, <laughs> where, where can they find the podcast that hasn't been started yet? So when we do start it, we will likely put it on my website, uh, my media production website, which is Natural Visions Media. Visions is plural. I have to tell everybody that it's V I S I more than more than one vision. Yeah, there's well, more than one vision. You're not there. the only person who says to do that. I've had to explain to several mainly for like web-based software companies if you're on customer support and they ask for your email where vidmonster productions like my email sam at vidmonster productions with an s yeah dot com and having to explain that it's like plural productions as if like it would be one singular production like we only made one yeah i um i really had to argue one time about a drone warranty because i crashed my drone right before like the warranty was about to expire and I'm like waiting for this email they told me they were sending me and I never got the email. And so I called them back, but it was after the warranty expired. And I'm like, hey, we're, you know, I still haven't gotten this stuff to send my drone back. And it was supposed to come, you know, via email. And they they were like, they, they looked and they didn't put that S in vision. So, you know, I'm very adamant about putting that S in there, but they ended up covering the warranty. Thank you. Thankfully. But, uh, yeah, so no, I mean, if you want to, uh, hopefully we will have this on naturalvisionsmedia.com. Um, and I will definitely advertise it on my Instagram account, um, which is Michael underscore natural visions. And uh, you can see some of some of my work there as well, more photos than videos, uh, because photos is kind of my, uh, you know, I love doing video, but photos is kind of my little art form that I do. Just, uh, I don't, I don't, I think... I've only made $2 taking photos in my entire life. I've only sold one photo. 
I've been published several times, but I've just kind of just given it away. Um, but yeah, I think that I've only, I've never actually really taken photos professionally. I guess I've taken photos with some of the video clients, but it, you know, it was a video contract that I took a few photos for, but so I've never really counted it. But I think the only, you've only made $2 one time selling a stock photo. I mean, <laughs> as funny as that is, but, uh, and I've been taking photos way longer than I've been shooting video, but, um, no. Hopefully, you'll be able to find that podcast on one of those two. If not, get a hold of Sam, and uh, we'll be able to we'll be able to put you in. Yeah, her put ask, you where you need to go. Ask me about it. Do you have a Do you have a timeline for this podcast? Um, yeah, we were hoping to really fire it up at the beginning of the year, but here we are. It is January eleventh. Um, let's say right now, if we're, if you're listening to this, let's say I'd like to have it going going March. I've been really the beginning of the year has been really busy, um, and so I gotta. One of the guys that's going to be doing a few episodes with me, I got to fly in from Pennsylvania, so I got to get him out here. But he's busy like me. Um, but uh, yeah, we're hoping to have a whole studio. This is going to be a video and uh, audio kind of deal, and it's going to be all about the outdoors for the most part and uh, outdoor TV. So if you're interested in getting into outdoor TV, this is going to be kind of a look inside of um, what happens. You know, kind of the ins and outs, the do's and don'ts, and you know what to do and how to get into it. So and y'all got a very mild flavor today of what that may consist of. Yeah. You might get bit by a spider. You might get, you know, charged by animals, sea bears, that kind of stuff. You it's a, it's play, an exhilarating, You might start job. a new evolution of the WNBA. You might. I'm the really just WNBA? trying to get into like Nat, Nat Geo. I've, you know, <laughs> I, I've done some Nat Geo work, but I'm really trying to get into like Nat Geo TV production. So that's what, that's what I really want to do. Like make a, what are those Netflix shows like Our Planet kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. My gosh, I love that. Anywho, we've talked to y'all long enough. Thank you so much for tuning into our first episode of The Scratch. Uh, everybody um, from where you are, we're not going to hear you because we're pre-recording this, but give a nice round of applause or thanks to Michael Chester. I mean, Chester. <laughs> <laughs> There, there's separate stories around that when Michael yeah, Chester gets. It might be on. the ticket that Sam made me get. You know, I didn't make you get that ticket. You made me drive. Speculation. This episode could be two hours longer, and then it'd be a Joe Rogan <laughs> podcast. Anywho, thank you all for tuning in to this first pilot episode of the new format of the Scratch. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Hope you have a great rest of your day, whatever you're doing, whether it be hunting elk or dragging donkeys around or getting pulled over and blaming me for it. Um, That's it. So thank you all for tuning in for The Scratch, and we'll see you next Tuesday with another episode. Take care. And thank you to our future sponsor, Bushlight.